Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. I'm going to read, starting in verse 8, and I'm going to read through verse 12. Just follow along with me. 1 Peter chapter 3. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, over the last few weeks, we have been looking specifically at these exhortations and instructions from 1 Peter chapter 2 all the way through this. And we can see... From the very beginning of verse 8, that this is kind of the final thought in this string of exhortations. How do we know that? Well, because it starts with, finally, that's a sign, right? And something that's a little unique about this is if we look back and we, we can see the exhortations that are made to specific groupings of people or in light of specific Authority structures or cultural norms or whatever it might be. How do you respond in this? And yet in this text, there's a generic theme that is focused on who? All of them, right? Now, if we were to go back to the very beginning of first Peter, we would recognize and identify that Peter's writing to whom? Who's he writing to? The church. Everyone say the church. So he, he's writing to believers Throughout what we would see as modern day Turkey, and it wasn't that at this time in uh, history, but that's the geographical context surrounding this and all around the region of that area. And these exhortations specifically are written to encourage and equip them as they encounter everything from relationships with one another to suffering at the hands of godless people around them. And so we come to this last exhortation, finally, all of you, and we get this broad description. But I I want to take us back, as I have each week for the past few weeks, to verse 16, because it emphasizes the heart with which Peter's writing to exhort them. What is his underlying motive that he's really trying to get at? And it's summarized in this way. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as what? Servants of God. 
living as servants of God. And so we could ask the question clear back in first Peter two: how do we respond as followers of Christ to human institutions? The answer is live as servants of God. In the second part of this, how do we respond to unjust treatment at the hand of those over us? As we saw from uh, verse 13 of chapter two or verse verse 18 of chapter two to the end of that chapter. How do we respond to unjust treatment at the hand of those who are in authority over us? Live as servants of God. How do we respond to an unsaved or ungodly spouse? We talked about last week in the beginning of first Peter chapter three. Live as what? Servants of God. There's the consistent theme across here that should bring us to a place of asking the broader question, which is how do we or should we respond to one another within the church as followers of Christ? Now, when I say within the church, I want to clarify something in that. Because today... There's a variety of perspectives or opinions about what the church is. Uh, most of us use the terminology of we go to church, indicating it's a location or a place. And yet the Bible would use descriptive words that say the people are the church. Uh, one of the questions that I love to ask, and we talked about it in our Next Steps class this last Wednesday, is... Is there such a thing as a churchless Christian, a churchless follower of Jesus? And that depends largely on how we define the church. If we define the church as a facility or an organization, then we might say, yeah, because there's people, brothers and sisters all over the world who don't have a facility to meet in and yet are still part of the church. But if we see the church through the lens that God in Scripture describes the church as, which is comprised of all of those who understand that salvation is in Christ alone by faith alone. That there is one way. Jesus in John 14, 6 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. To understand that we, on our own, are sinful and separated from God. But God, through Christ, made a way for every one of us. To be declared righteous, not of our own doing so that none of us can brag or boast about it, but through what Jesus did. That he not only gave his life after living a sinless life on earth, but he rose again, showing that he alone has power over the death, which is the due penalty for our separation from God, the giver of life. And then ascended to the father to remind us that he indeed is God. And therefore, our only access to the Father is through Him. So who's the church? The church, at the end of the day, is all of those who profess and declare, Jesus is the only way and I will follow Him. Which means the church goes wherever we go. The church exists wherever we exist. The good news about that is it means that Scripture is clear when it says that even the gates of hell can't prevail over that. Because they can destroy everything about this. It can't destroy the church. And so when Peter's writing this to the church and we ask the question, how do we respond to one another within the church? This is a question for those who say, I follow Jesus. How do I respond and live in community with 
other people who say the same. If you get nothing else out of today, I want you to grab hold of this statement. How we respond to others should declare that we are servants of God. Our example for this is Jesus. How we respond to others should declare that we are servants of God. And our example for this is Jesus. Now, when I was thinking about this section of scripture this week, I thought back to in my childhood, I was uh, I was homeschooled all the way through and I thought it would be kind of cool to try to see how much of my school I could get out of. And I thought, you know, I really like to bake stuff, so maybe you know, it's not like I'm going to just goof off. Maybe if I go to my mom, I'm like, well, can I make some brownies? Or maybe some cookies? That Then, you know, I, I don't have to work on school. But what I found out later was I, she would always say yes, because then she'd get free brownies, but I still had to do my school, right? <laughs> but in, especially early on, I, I learned a lot about baking through that. I still enjoy baking today. Um, but... In order for something that you bake to turn out well, uh, it takes the right ingredients, often sometimes put in, mixed together in the right order. And if you use something that may be similar, it will never turn out the way it's supposed to. And as I'm reading through 1 Peter 3, I'm going, we are really prone to throw in what we might have. And leave out some ingredients that we feel we're not good at. And expect somehow for that to result in the picture that God has entrusted that the church should be. And instead, we have a responsibility to look at what scripture says and goes, what is the recipe here that God has written down? What is the recipe for unified, healthy relationships both inside and outside the church, and and how do we work together towards that end? How do we make sure that even if, and, and this is where community is so important, church, even if I may struggle in these areas, personally, who in my immediate circle doesn't? And how am I making sure that my life includes them because That ingredient is crucial to the outcome being what God wants it to be. So stopping and considering this, I I want you to think about that almost like this recipe. None of these ingredients are optional. We have to see this through the lens of God has written this for a purpose. Peter saw, inspired by the Spirit of God, that these elements were needed in the life of the church. And so let's look at them. The first one. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. Now, there's many other places in Scripture that this concept is highlighted. Two of them are in 2 Corinthians 13 and Philippians chapter 2. Um, You're going to hear Philippians 2 and Romans 12 referenced a lot in this message because they, they say the same thing as Peter's saying here. Which should be a good indication to us that the recipe doesn't need to change. (laughs) 
If multiple people throughout church history in scripture wrote down to different churches in different regions at different times the same ingredients, best to stick with it. Don't go experimenting. Just stick with what God has established already. But you see 2 Corinthians 13 verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. This idea, agree with one another, be of, be of one mind, one focus in this. Philippians 2, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the what? Same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. This unity of mind is throughout. But this brings up another question. Unity of what? Unity of mind, but towards what? And I immediately think of Joshua as he said, as for me and my house, we will what? Oh, wait, what, have, what did we say? First, Peter mentioned over and over. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. The unity of mind should come back to this idea of serving the Lord. Be of one mind. What, what does that look like? One focus. What is that one focus biblically to be? I, we serve the Lord and no one else. We serve the Lord. Well, what about in these difficult cultural situations that we face? We serve the Lord. Uh, What about in this conflicting relationship I have between this person and me? You serve the Lord. What about in my job where I'm not appreciated and these things happen? Well, you might need to quit, but until you have confidence in that, serve the Lord. Right? Our focus has to be the same. When we gather and worship together. When we sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to one another, as Colossians calls us to. Why should we do that? Because together we serve the Lord. Why should we pray for one another? Well, because our aim is to serve the Lord. This is a unity, not uniformity. Those are different things. Around God's given purpose for his people. Uniformity is that we all look the same. Praise God, that's not the case. It doesn't take long or shouldn't take long for us to look around and go, I'm really thankful that you all aren't like me. Because things would get really boring really fast. And in seasons of crisis, I naturally don't have the gift of faith like some of you have. I need people who have that because when things happen... I have to surround myself with people who naturally just have faith because my tendency is to go, oh, it's out of control. What are we, what's the plan? I'm a planner. What what are we going to do next? Where do we have to look? Where do we need to go? What's the next step? What's the next 10 steps? 15 would be better. Right? That, that's how my brain works, which can be helpful in some circumstances because some of y'all are terrible planners. Okay? I live with one. And we talk about that all the time. And it's, you know what's fantastic? She, my wife, is so much more gifted in faith than I am. And so I come to her with a plan, and she goes, I think we just need to trust the Lord. I'm like, oh, my goodness. 
you're right, but I don't want to. Like, this is, this is how this works, right? There, there is, there is giftings, and this is what Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 tell us, that there are many members, but one body. And the only way that this recipe works is if each part is trying to, is not trying, if each part is functioning the way God has designed them to function. As a servant of God, but that may look different. But our aim and our focus has to be unified in the same way. Jesus actually prayed for this in John 17. This is a conversation between Jesus and God the Father. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, speaking of his disciples. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Now stop and think about that standard. That Jesus himself prayed that his followers would be one in the same way that God the Father and God the Son are one. There's a profound emphasis there. We should take this seriously. This should look like unity in mission, not necessarily in method. This is where the differing giftings come up. Okay? But here's the, I came across this story, which I laughed at. There was a man who once criticized D.L. Moody's methods of evangelism. And Moody responded and said, well, I'm always ready for improvement. What are your methods? And the man confessed that he had none. And Moody responded, then I'll stick to my own. (laughs) And in that moment, you, you, you would say, well, we should have some method there, but... Just because someone else's methods of carrying out the same mission and serving the Lord look different than yours doesn't mean that it's wrong. If I want everyone's methods to look like mine, that would be uniformity, not unity. The question we need to answer is, what is the purpose behind your method? And it goes back to the past few weeks. Am I seeking to serve the Lord or am I seeking to serve myself? Our natural bent is to serve ourselves. Naturally speaking, that's what we're going to try to do. Serve myself, serve myself, serve myself. Our calling as the church is to unify, be of one mind to serve the Lord. The second part of this, brotherly love. Now, we could look at this, or sympathy. I jumped over sympathy. Have unity of mind, sympathy, sympathetic towards one another. What is, what is that? What does that look like? Romans 12 probably describes this the best way we, we could. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. How do we walk as sympathetic towards one another? It is not possible for us to do that if we are only concerned about ourselves. Some of you are much more naturally sympathetic people than others. That does not mean that if you are not a naturally sympathetic person, that you are not called to still sympathize with people. One of the amazing things that may happen is the more you follow the Lord, the more you will grow in that area. And I've, I've witnessed this. One of the guys who I've been discipling for the past three years, when, when 
we first started growing in relationship together and getting to know one another, he was one of the most unsympathetic people I have ever met. Just, I just didn't care. That I mean, he, he would just boldly, well, I don't know if boldly is the right word. He would walk right up to someone and be like, you're being an idiot. And I'm like, you know, you're not wrong, but... Let's, let's approach this different, okay? <laughs> and, and in the midst of that, if we, as, as I've watched him grow over the last three years, I have watched the Lord soften his heart. Still got growing to do, but I have watched it soften him in a way where he'd go, man, I, my whole response to people has changed. I'm like, I know. That's what sympathy, sympathetic towards one another looks like. Practically speaking, for the church to do that, it it really just begins by you going, it's not about me. And I may not understand the depth of why this is so hard for for someone, but it's hard for them. Uh, It may not, someone may be struggling with something that you go, really? And yet, their reality is struggle right now. So being sympathetic to one another is if I have someone weeping, even if I go, I don't know that this is worth weeping about. My number one responsibility in that is not to get them to see things through my lens. My first responsibility is to weep with those who weep. And it starts by looking at the person and going, man, I've been there. Not related to that, but I've been there. And I wish I had someone who just came alongside in that moment. And sometimes, church family, what it looks like to be sympathetic to one another is just showing up. I really struggled with this in early years of full-time ministry. And I uh, had an elder in the church I pastored at in Oregon who had just seen a ton of things. Uh, He helped start the police chaplaincy program in Chicago. Uh, He was... On site at 9-11 as a chaplain for firefighters. He was there. Um, he has served in ministries in many other places. And when I met him, he was a hospice chaplain in Oregon. So this guy had sat with people through stuff. I mean. And I, so I went to him one day and I said, John, how in the world am I supposed to help people? In these situations, I go and I don't have any words. I don't have anything I, I, I don't know what to say. I don't feel like there's any scripture that does justice to their hurting. I, what, what do I do? Like, you have lived this faithfully. What do I do? And he looked at me, and probably some of the wisest words I've ever heard and have impacted my ministry since. He said, Matt, we undervalue the ministry of presence. He said, there are so many times that you show up and there is absolutely nothing you can say. That will comfort or bring healing to the hurt they're experiencing. But the spirit works through the church being present in people's lives. (laughs) And it still gives me chills when I talk about that. Because every one of us in some measure of our life has experienced that. Where someone showed up and they they didn't say anything profound. But they were there. What does it look like to be sympathetic with one another? It means showing up. Showing up because it's not about me. 
And being present with people through hard stuff, even if I don't understand the hard stuff, that I can show up. The next one, brotherly love, loving one another. This should not come as a surprise to us. Jesus commanded this after he had modeled serving to his disciples by washing their feet in John 13. He gives them this instruction. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The most humbling part of this is maybe verse 35, where we realize the most profound impact that we may have on the people outside of the community that we call the church is how we get along with one another. And the reason that should be humbling to us is because oftentimes the Squabbles that we have with one another in the church are significantly worse than the ones we have with people in the world. My goodness. And then we wonder why people don't want to come to church. Because <laughs> people in the world are going, I got enough drama in my life. Why would I want to come to another group of people that has more drama? But how different would that be if our love for one another looked like Christ's love for us? How different would that be from the, from the rest of the world? How different would it be if the world looked at the church and went, my goodness, how do they have such unity amongst such different people? How is it that they, that they carry these burdens for each other in ways that nobody else does? Why, why is it that they can get together and, and just love one another? I don't have that even in my own home. That is what communicates to people that something's changed. Because it's not normal. The normal thing is for us to surround ourselves with people that are like us and feel the same way as us and think the same way as us and all of these things. The church is meant to be a people unified in purpose to serve the Lord from a diverse grouping of backgrounds, working together towards a kingdom that is not yet here and glorifying the Lord the whole way. Tender-hearted. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart. Another way to describe this would be, be compassionate. Considerate of the needs of one another. Naturally speaking, once again, some of you are more compassionate people than others. Uh, I tend to believe that uh, most children that I meet at a young age are naturally compassionate in some measure. But as they grow and they experience the world and they experience the culture of your home, it will adjust and change. Some of you are hard people because of what you've endured. And sometimes we dismiss those ways that we are as just being how we have always been. Instead of confronting what really may be the source of that. And so when we stop and we consider that, we might need to ask, <clears throat> what does it look like practically for us to be compassionate to one another? Tender-hearted. How does that look lived out? We, I immediately think of Ephesians 4. 
says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building others up as fits the occasion. And then it goes on to say, speak, speak the truth in love. <laughs> but the, the, the emphasis is no unwholesome talk. So the question becomes, is this what I'm about to say to whoever it is? Is it going to help build them up? Is it going to help them serve God more or not? If the answer is no, you need to change whatever you're going to say to make sure that it does. Now, I'll preface this and say this by no means implies that we should not speak constructive help into people's lives. The culture takes that idea and goes to another extreme and says, you just don't speak truth. Especially if people don't want to hear it. You know, you adjust what you're going to say and you don't speak. No, 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 no. Sometimes what I need to hear is really hard for me to hear. doesn't mean I don't need to hear it. So we need to be a people compassionate, tender-hearted. If I'm truly tender-hearted and I understand the gospel, then my tender-heartedness is ultimately with the desire to see you following Jesus. That's what the church should be about. Not to encourage you in the way you want to live, but to encourage you to follow Jesus. Why? Because we want to be unified that we serve God. We be servants of God. Humble in thought. <clears throat> a tender heart and a humble mind. Now this really interestingly pairs well with one who's sympathetic, loving, and tender-hearted. Why? Because a humble mind is someone whose mindset is not me first. A prideful mind goes, look at me, what I can do, it's about me, it's about my list, it's about my responsibilities, it's about the things I think we should do. A humble mind is needed not only for healthy relationship with one another, it's needed for a healthy relationship with the Lord. If you come to the Lord with a prideful mindset, uh, you, you mistake yourself for what you think a relationship with the Lord is like. Uh, a relationship with the Lord is you as a servant of God, not a co-leader with God. Uh, we really would, some days, we would prefer to be a co-leader with God. And I permanently just have this image in my head of... Us surrendering control to the Lord. And so we get, we get out of the driver's seat and we say, okay, I'm going to let you drive. Take me where I need to go. And the whole trip, we are the worst backseat driver you have ever seen. Some of you have experienced this in your own cars before, okay? But in all reality, God doesn't need our help navigating what's coming. In fact, he doesn't need our GPS. Uh, I think this route would be better. Nope. This is the way. Uh, this one looks a lot bumpier. Yep, that's the point. But that way seems straighter. Uh, yeah, you don't want to go that way. Because I already know what's up that way. Wrong way. The question becomes, am I humble enough in my mindset to not only allow God to have control, but to focus my intentions on serving him in my relationships with other people? Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility 
count others more significant than yourselves. You want a very countercultural ideology. It's right here, family. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. I tell people all the time, the key to healthy relationships is when everybody in that relationship is more concerned about the others than they are themselves. Because in those types of relationships, everyone is cared for. You want a healthy marriage? Devote yourself to meeting your spouse's needs more than your own. And if your spouse has the same mindset, both of you will thrive. Uh, the biblical words would be, out, seek to outdo each other in showing honor to one another. Make that your aim. Early on in Haley and I's marriage, I, I, I loved to think about it almost like a competition. Can I outdo her in showing honor and meeting her needs and caring for her. Can I, can I go, can I go so far? And not so that, here's, here's where we have to be humble in mind. Not so I get anything in return. It's not so that she will praise me. It's not so that she will show me affection. It's not so that she will do something in response to that. It is merely because I desire to serve the Lord. That, that's the difference. The prideful mind's gonna go, I'm gonna do this to people and I expect something in return. The prideful mindset in the church goes, I'm going to serve God and I'm going to outdo everyone else in serving, but they didn't even recognize me. They didn't mention my name. You know what? I didn't I didn't get a single thank you. I'm not doing that again. Well, you were serving the wrong the wrong thing. And we're all prey to that family. It, It is natural in us to feel that way. It is, it is natural in us, but it is not what the recipe is for healthy, unified church family. Instead, that we are humble in thought and we realize, here's where the humility should come from. What has God in Christ done for us? And how will we respond? Verse 9, gracious. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. And what you see here from in verse 10 through 12 is actually a quotation of Psalm 34. Psalm 34, verses 11 through 16. It says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from earth. And I added these other two verses because I thought they added a lot. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their trouble. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. One of the most profound differences that should exist amongst the community known as the church versus the rest of the world is that our response to slander or suffering or reviling or hatred is not to dish it back, but is actually to bless those who do it. 
This is the same concept that we see in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The most unnatural response that we could come up with. Because at minimum we go, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to avoid those people at all costs. And yet scripture would say, <clears throat> bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. We don't often stop and consider the fact that when I choose to respond to wickedness with my own wickedness, um, I may be the one who is missing a blessing from the Lord in the process. And instead, the call is bless that you may obtain a blessing. What does that look like? Well, it looks like desiring that those who do that would indeed find and understand the love of God in Christ. In a biblical way, it is prayerfully longing that those individuals would reach repentance too. That through reaching repentance, they would experience a blessing that can only come from the Lord, one that those who believe in Christ have already experienced. A hope that can only come from the Lord. A peace and a calm that can only come from the Lord. To bless someone would be to desire that they too would experience what we have in Christ. Not easy. But part of the recipe. Now when we stop and we think about all of this and come back to that main idea, how we respond to others should declare that we are servants of God. And our example for this is Jesus. Maybe the final question that we have in that is why? Why should we do this? Why should we live this way? Why is this the recipe? Romans 12 gives us a a scope of this, but we'll see in a minute Philippians 2, maybe even more so. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. Here it is, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful or lazy in zeal or passion, but be fervent in spirit. Serve who? The Lord rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints. That's the church, those who follow Christ and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. There it is again. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Let's be unified. Do not be haughty or prideful, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight, humble in mind. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of who? All. Everyone say all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, here's, here's the key. Live peaceably with all. As far as it depends on us, it's the church. Does not mean other people will live peaceably with us. Expect that to be the case. But my goodness, as far as it depends on the followers of Jesus, may we seek to live at peace with all people. 
Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And lastly, Philippians 2. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in who? Christ Jesus. He's the example who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. There it is. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So family, I want to encourage you today to fix your eyes on Christ and say, how can we as a people emulate who he is? How can we see the recipe that God has established for what our relationships to one another should be? How can we be unified together in the passionate pursuit of serving the Lord and serving him alone? In order to do that, we have to untether ourselves from the things of this world so that we are fully fixated on God. And that may be where you need to start today to say, where am I tied to the world in such a way that I'm I can't serve God because I'm I'm serving all these other things. And then what steps do I need to take to fully embrace serving the Lord? The way he's called me to do it. It will only happen if every one of us begins to do that together. That's where this change starts. As far as it depends on us, may we strive together towards serving God with all we have. Amen? The worship team is going to come. And we're going to sing one last song together. Would you stand with me? Father, we come to you and we ask that you would... Help us to see the presence of your spirit in our lives, that we would be a people that seek to walk faithfully as you have called us. Help us to see the barriers to that in our own lives that so easily we become entangled by. Lord, if there are relationships amongst brothers and sisters here that need to be reconciled, I pray for conviction and pray that your spirit would move in us, that we would be a people who reconcile those for the sake of your gospel, the the gospel, the good news. Lord, that we don't deserve your forgiveness. We don't deserve salvation. And yet you've given it freely through Christ for all who believe. So may that trickle into, pour into the relationships we have here with one another. And may that pour out over into a world that desperately needs to see your grace, your compassion, your kindness, your hope. And a fear of you that is healthy, that humbles us to be servants of you in everything we do. All of this that your name and your name alone would be glorified. We pray this through the name of Jesus. Amen.